Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is Farnas Raleigh, and I'm honored to be in conversation with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams Sensei, author, spiritual teacher, and founder of the Center for Transformative Change. She bridges personal transformation and justice, advocating for a present centered social justice movement as the foundation for personal freedom, a just society, and the healing of the divisions of race, class, faith, and politics. Her new book, Radical Dharma, which we're here to talk about today, explores racial injustice as a barrier to collective awakening, and particularly how the legacy of racial injustice and white supremacy plays out in Buddhist, spiritual, and faith communities. Welcome. Thank you. I want to start off by asking the question, what's radical about the Dharma that you're teaching? Uh, So I think that what is radical is that well, first of all, we have to understand what radical means, and people have a different sense of what that means, and it can have political um, connotations for people. And when I refer to radical, I'm referring to the root term, which is radix, and that means whole or complete. And so to say a radical dharma is to say a complete dharma, and that means that the things that have been typically left out of the observation or the inquiry that is part of spiritual practice should be brought back in. Uh, And those things have been left out because we live in a society in which it's inconvenient to view things such as how people are marginalized, how women are uh, left out of being able to access equal pay, how people of color are uh, put in situations in which they don't have uh, an equal access to resources and how that has been historically true. Our histories in the Western Hemisphere are things that are also left out of the observation of the Dharma, and Dharma is about truth and how we are understanding how we're making up and, and, and coming into knowing what is actually true. So Radical Dharma suggests that not so much that I'm bringing something or there's something new, but rather historically and perpetually that Western expressions of spirituality, and that includes the so-called dharmic religions and paths of yoga and Buddhism, but also Western traditions themselves, are leaving this aspect of inquiry out. And if we don't know what it is that the truth of our society is made up, and we don't actually know what is true about who we are. So bringing that into conversation and inquiry, how can individuals who are, 
who have a committed spiritual practice begin to do that? Uh, I think the first way is to begin to say what has been missing and to look around the room, uh, literally in your own spiritual communities, as well as the room of your own life, as it were, and say, what is it that has been perpetually left out? Who's not here? And why is it that they're not here? Is there something natural and organic that suggests that women shouldn't be in this particular place, or that queer people shouldn't be here, or that black people shouldn't be here? Is there something that makes sense about the fact that uh, we, we hold our spaces in particular ways which are not inviting or welcoming to other people? So really the inquiry is what is missing, and you can just follow that inquiry of looking around and really paying attention and saying, rather than hold on to a sense of comfort with what is familiar and the way that things have quote-unquote always been, can I challenge myself to wonder about why are certain things not present, why are certain things not spoken about, why are certain things not considered part of the spiritual practice of inquiry. So if we were to take that inquiry, you've been teaching this for so many years, what is the Mm -hmm. next outcome of what an inquiry like that leads to? Well, you know, I think that we're naturally inclined uh, once we set ourselves about on the path of being willing to be uncomfortable about the truths that we discover about ourselves, about our society, about our families, about the relationships we have, that when we develop the increased capacity to actually meet that truth, then action actually arises from that, the actions that are natural and whole and organic to us as human beings to actually want to be in uh, a place in which we understand what's true. We want to be free. We want to be liberated. And when we do that inquiry, and this is really important, that when we do the kind of inquiry into what is missing, coupled with the work necessary to meet the truth, to be able to integrate it, to be able to fold it in, you know, to, to withstand it, because if the truth were easy, everybody would be doing it. Uh, we can see from the, the media and, the, and certainly the politics in the United States that, uh, that, the, that the truth is not necessarily easy for everyone, that we rather uh, develop our own views of what the world is like and what we'll deci- we decide whether we want to perceive something as true or not. So we have to develop our capacity, and that's also very much a part of spiritual practice. That's what meditation is about. That's what yoga is about. That's what many spiritual practices are about. They're they're, um, developing our resilience to meet the challenge of what it means to be in the world as a whole person and meet the whole truth. Rather than what we've been often seeing is a kind of narrowing down and a controlling of our environment, uh, particularly in spiritual communities. We want to control things. We want to make it, you know, nice. We make the air a certain way and the light a certain way and the sound and the sound level and everything has to be just so. And we become kind of paper thin, and we can't really meet the the, the challenges, the abrasion uh, that reality actually brings forth. When we do do that, when we allow ourselves to develop that capacity, what comes forth is our our organic human goodness that says, I actually want to 
be in a place liberated from the delusion of my own creation. I want to be liberated from the delusion that I'm somehow safe as long as other people are not safe. I want to liberate myself from the delusion that we can have policies in in politics about immigration, about how we treat people that diminish some people, but somehow it doesn't simultaneously diminish me. That arises out of the depths of spiritual practice. So a lot of people say that I talk about the meeting of spiritual practice and social action, and really I think that social action actually arises out of the complete truth held within our spiritual practice. So is that the same as saying that spiritual practice is not complete unless it it includes social action? Uh, I think there's a point at which action springs forth, so it really depends on where people are in their own spiritual journey. And so you could be in the part of your journey, the, the sort of stage of your journey, if you will, in which precisely the thing to do, and I certainly went through this myself, where, where I felt like what I had to do is actually to be very quiet and to observe what was going on, to sift through what I found to be um, aligned with and, and resonant with being true and what wasn't. And I wasn't, quote-unquote, taking action then. My action was actually to be quiet, <laughs> to uh, mind my business so that I could unlearn a lot of the ways in which I had been told the way that things are or they that ought to be, that I had inherited what I believed to be true. And so I had to actually stop doing, stop, quote-unquote, taking action in order to be able to hear that and to find resonance so that I wasn't just reacting out of like, oh, and now I've discovered this thing that I think is now the new truth, and I've got to run off and take action on it, and I haven't actually integrated. So I wouldn't say that we can judge somebody's spiritual practice by whether they're taking action. We can judge the their their practice by the impulse actually to be to be willing to seek after and face the truth. Action arises as a result of that, and I think that that's natural, and how that shows up is going to be different for different people. It doesn't necessarily mean a march or something, um, but I think you can't really tell what stage people are at just by looking at them and saying, you're not going to a march, so you must not have a complete spiritual practice. Now, I want to come back to a point you mentioned about meeting the truth and looking at our society and asking ourselves hard questions. You know, if you look at the state of society today, it's very sad and tragic to think of the state of human affairs and how we treat each other. What does the Dharma say about how to hold space for that disappointment and that that response when we see, you know, for example, people killing each other or people hating each other? No, I think that we are in an interesting um, dual position of the, the, in, in, a, in society and in time right now. Uh, on the one hand, we have this perception of uh, a great deal of 
hatred, a, a great deal of uh, pain, um, mistreatment in our society. And, and on the other hand, we're actually exposed to much more awareness and understanding about what goes on in the world than we have ever been exposed to before. So I'm not sure that it's actually there's more hatred, that there's more anything going on, um, rather that we're in a world that is uh, increasingly compressed in terms of our crossing borders and boundaries into places. And so there's likely to be clashes of culture, clashes of understanding, clashes of time. Uh, We have some people that are in so-called advanced societies that have been through rapid changes in terms of how we relate to each other, how we relate to women. And we have places that in, in, in the world in which time has moved at a different rate. And we tend to, in the, those advanced places where time has moved very quickly, look over our shoulder and judge. And I think that that's dangerous. So I want to say that one of the things that's necessary in spiritual practice is actually te- learning to temper ourselves to the notion of what is true and the distinction between what is universally true and what is our own truth and our own desire. Like we would like to see women equal in all places. Uh, But it's also simultaneous true that humans are evolutionary creatures and we don't evolve in our understanding overnight. And so we would be, um, we we put ourselves at a disadvantage uh, in terms of our own, the impact on us when we look at a society that whose whose time and evolution of politics and sensibilities have moved at a different rate of ours, and if we're torn up inside because that's the truth, uh, we 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 have actually disadvantaged ourselves by creating an, an illusion that everything should somehow be equal all at the same time. That that it's important for us to actually be tempered in the way that we look at the world. So let's look specifically at North America and mm-hmm. particularly the United States. Where where are we at in terms of our evolution and what's what is the right response to the events of our time here? I can't I couldn't tell anybody what the right response is. I, you know, the the right as in the way we would say uh, samyak or perfect response in the Buddhist tradition is not right as in right versus wrong. It is the same, the notion of being complete also, right? To, to look at all sides of a thing to the best of our ability, to learn how to temper our reaction so that we are able to be more uh, comprehensive and willing to take in different points of view and different ways of seeing a situation. So I wouldn't say that there is a right way to relate or perceive the world other than from the starting point of a willingness to see more views of a thing than just your particular view. That said, one one rem- arrives at their view and measures that view against, uh, you know, I want to say a measure, a a bar of 
what is wise and what is compassionate, right? What is wise action? What is compassionate? And also what is possible and realistic in a particular situation. From there, we can begin to have appropriate responses. And so, as I said, you, you can't wish for the same outcomes, for instance, in uh, gender equality or even race equality, instantly and overnight with people who have had a 400-year history of being taught to be hateful towards people of a different skin color. Uh, that's not going to change overnight, and we actually cause harm and pain to ourselves when we have that expectation, and it's actually more delusion. So I love that there's a saying, don't trade one delusion for another. So we shouldn't trade the delusion of not looking at white supremacy as part of the legacy of how our nations have grown up and what they've been birthed inside of, but we shouldn't trade that delusion of not looking at that and not including that in understanding of who we are and how we behave and how we relate to one another. We shouldn't trade that then for some kind of a rigid sense of uh, everyone that doesn't immediately adhere to peace, love, and happiness with you know, people of all skin colors, all cultures, all sexual orientations, gender expressions, etc., are bad and evil, and we should feel terrible about them as people, and we should feel pained about their existence. Uh, so the radical Dharma is very much about having a complex understanding of what it means to interact with our personal views and social views. Uh, no one can tell us the right response to have to that except to develop our capacity for wisdom and compassion. Hmm. Well, a lot of discernments in that answer. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about friendship, and I'm wondering if you can explore this with me. Like, what is the value of friendship between people who are different, come from different backgrounds, different race, different faiths? You know, I think um, the the value is is this notion of of being increasingly more whole, more more complete. To recognize that there are myriad ways of being and seeing the world, of uh, operating in it, of relating to our families, relating inside of our cultures, we get to see that when we're amongst and with and have intimacy and relationship friendships, as you were, as it were, with people that are different from us. Um, we are enriched by this sense of what our own boundaries are and what we perceive them to be when we see that someone traverses a boundary very easily, that something that was taboo to us is actually easily crossed as a boundary by someone else. It doesn't mean that we have to suddenly be like them, but it does call into question our sense of rigidity around our own boundaries. And conversely, maybe we're particularly loose and don't have a lot of um, uprightness around certain boundaries that would be skillful in order for us to be in good relationship with uh, people around us and in our own lives and in our own integrity. And so when we uh, come across someone that maybe has 
what we perceive as fairly rigid boundaries, but we also see the outcome of having things, for instance, like uh, as a concrete example, some of us are more inclined to have systemic way or systematic ways in which we carry out our day, whereas other others of us feel like, well, that's too rigid. I wouldn't want to follow a schedule. I don't want to be told what to do. And maybe we got some messages from when we were kids that, you know, uh, you know, you're always told what to do, and so that feels like it is holding you back. But you're not a child anymore, and you grow up and learning that having systematic ways to do things or re- or a, a, a practice, for instance, or a set of habits and rituals in terms of how you do things can actually be beneficial in terms of you organizing your own life, the way that you work, how you work in relationship with your family, how you spend your time, and you can release that rigidity, right? So uh, we learn from each other. We rub against each other. Spiritual practice is not about how is it that we become more comfortable in, in the views that we already have, but how is it that we come to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable so that we can be at peace with whatever it is that arises in life. So our sense of getting comfortable is not getting comfortable um, and so that we can control the environment, but rather getting comfortable in our own skin precisely so that we don't feel a need to control all of the environment, but actually we're willing to look at it and see it for what it is. One word that keeps coming up in the answers is the word whole. How is the word whole related to the word love? Uh, I think that I've said at different times that I think ultimately that what love is is space. And it's it's allowing of space. It's allowing of spaciousness letting people be who they are and how they are and creating space for them to unfold for, um, and, and that includes ourselves, but it let them unfold into what they are becoming. And one of the best ways that we are empowered to allow others to have space and to even give ourselves space to grow and to unfold is to develop our own wholeness, our sense of wholeness in who we are, that we unto ourselves just as we are, are complete. And we're constantly in process, right? That it's sort of like, it's our, it's not that we are less when we don't know aspects of the truth about who we are and how we're being in the world. Rather, those things are, they would say, covered, right? That they're obstructed, that we're whole unto ourselves once right from the beginning, and we have obstructions that hinder our, in our ability to see and relate to our wholeness. Well, once we have more capacity to see our own wholeness and to accept, well, you know, I'm really whole, and I don't see everything right now, but it's going to happen, then I'm not inclined to try to obstruct your coming into being. I'm inclined to not insist that you have to be a particular way in order for me to accept you as you are. So uh, a sense of love, a sense of uh, willingness to give space and to be spacious uh, with other people, with beings, with the planet, 
comes from that sense of I am whole and I am of the whole. Uh, both of those things exist at once. And lastly, just coming back to your book, Radical Dharma, what's your hope for how the book will be received or what outcome will result from it? My greatest aspiration is that people will be um, inspired or cajoled or challenged into inquiry about what it is that is incomplete in their own understanding and relationship to themselves. What is the inquiry that they have to make about what part of themselves they may not be honest about or be holding back on because they want to belong to this club or that club, to this lineage, that tradition, that sangha, that community, that kula, whatever it may be. What part of you are you not being uh, in truth with the wholeness of who you are? Uh, can you Can you be in an in inquiry with that, and can you simultaneously be willing to do the work that is necessary to integrate that so that when you find these pieces of truth, because we always find truths that are not necessarily as savory as we'd like to, them to be, both in our own personal lives but also in the history of our cultures and our societies and our communities, um, we don't want to just send people running off the other way into a place of shame and guilt and torment, but rather to have people recognize that embracing those truths about who we are and where we come from and the histories we've had, the ways that we've colluded and participated in uh, systems of oppression, of marginalization, of denying people access to life and liberty, uh, are not things that we can undo or by, by, by being in a place that is stuck in shame and guilt. So we have to be able to hold the complexity of that. If Radical Dharma inspires people to want to know, to, to just face it, to say, you know, tell me about it. I've, I've been unwilling to know this. I've been willfully ignorant, but now I'm ready to know. Now, now I'm ready to understand my uh, trans son. Now I'm ready to peer into why my community doesn't have any Asians, even though we live in an Asian uh, community. I'm ready to get clear about how this gentrification that I'm a part of um, is diminishing uh, a community of indigenous First Nations people or black people or whatever. I want to know where the money in my, uh, in my family has come from. Uh, and I want to know how it is that my own sense of limit about myself has come from a history of being oppressed, of being marginalized. If radical dharma can incite any, that, any of that questioning <laughs> and the willing to be in conversation with other people about it, then um, I, I can hang up my writing hat and, and <laughs> go do something else. <laughs> well, I certainly feel that in the short time of our conversation, you've definitely given me lots of inquiry that I can go back and chew on for some time. So thank you so much. Well, thank you.
You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.